Hey guys, my name is Michael and welcome to the fifth episode of the Ducks and Dogs podcast with my co-host Matt. And today we have a special guest in Josh Pate. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm good, man. Long way away from you guys, but I'm good nonetheless. <laughs> Just a little, little bit more sunlight out where you are than where I am right now. Oh, where are you out of? I'm in uh, Nashville gloomy, might I add, Nashville, Tennessee at the moment. <laughs> oh, it's, it's pretty dark outside right now for us as well. Man, well, look, brightness is on the horizon. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> That's all day anyway. So, Josh, we're going to just jump right into it. There's been a lot of talk about how overblown or how not overblown the demise of the Pac-12 has been over the past few years. How do you feel the balance of power out West with not just the Pac-12, but with like Boise State and some people maybe thinking the Mountain West might be better than the Pac-12, however many people choose to believe that. What do you think the balance of power is on the West Coast? Well, wait, do you guys believe that? No. Or are people who believe that on the Okay, so so let's clarify that. Okay, so I'm <laughs> I'm with you then. I do not believe that. Like we got to contextualize our criticism somewhat. SEC so, fans in in fifth quarter yeah. have said it many a times. Yeah. Right. Well, they're wrong. To put an opinion on it, they're wrong. But I will say this. Look, there was a time not all that long ago. I was doing TV down in Columbus, Georgia, and we did a segment on the Pac-12. I'm glad it's buried and gone now cuz it would sound terrible if it were to see the light of day even though I'm telling you right now what it said. And I, around 2015 or 16, the year Washington made the playoff, going into that year, the conference looked like it was in a really good place. Uh, Multiple teams were positioned, obviously, but you also had an infusion, I thought, of really good coaching talent out on the West Coast. And again, this is pre-Stanford falling off a little bit. So there are multiple programs out there that seem to be clicking. I thought that the Pac-12 TV network money was only going to further infuse in a raw cash sense the ability to invest resource wise into football i thought all systems were go for the pac-12 and due to many things i think ineffective leadership at the top being chief among them the conference just faltered it just fumbled to i guess use a football pun on i thought a really good opportunity there well what follows is this ugly domino effect of you get inadequacy on the football field you have incompetency at the conference level, and then all of a sudden you are not viable enough to keep your most precious commodity home, that being West Coast talent. And so now instead you get to wake up every morning on Saturday and you get to watch DJ Uyangalale play for Clemson and Bryce Young play for Alabama. And it's just like I would be beyond livid if I were on the West Coast. Being a Pac-12 fan of a team, but then also just knowing my team is attached to the conference. I can only be as healthy as the conference is. Like, that's what we talk about in the South about the Pac-12, you know, outside of just the, the fun and, you know, the, the joke making. Like, that's the real deal. That's where the rubber meets the road with the Pac-12. Yeah, and uh, Matt, do you want to share your opinions on, on the same subject? as you, You're in Wyoming now, which isn't Pac-12 country necessarily. You're more Mountain West territory, I guess. Wyoming, I'm a little more populated than that in South Dakota here, bud. But uh, yeah, it's all the same. But I'm in Big Ten country, believe it or not. Being in South Dakota, you got a lot of Nebraska fans out here, a lot of Minnesota fans, all that stuff. It's the same conversation. People are like, "Oh, you're a Huskies fan? Like, okay, like, cool, big deal." You know, it's just that same conversation of just it's faltered off since I would say 2016. I think Stanford being the weak team, like falling off after their run with Andrew Luck, Christian McCaffrey, all that, them being solid. Like, you know, uh, Josh said, it really created a domino effect and it's affected pretty much every team. I would argue, except for Oregon. I think Washington hasn't been hit by it yet, but 
with recruiting, how that's going, that is probably soon to fall as well. Um, but we'll get a bit into that later. So I'll let you continue it on. So Josh, how do you think, do you think that's going to change? Do you think the Pac-12 is heading in a better direction now? You do have a lot of coaches people respect there. You have Herm Edwards at Arizona State. A lot of people still have a lot of respect for David Shaw. Jimmy Lake is a well-respected coach when it would, out of his peers that I've talked to, they respect him as a play caller, as a coach in general. Mario Cristobal is getting a lot of respect. Chip Kelly at one time was a respected coach. Do you think that that's outlook is changing for the Pac-12? I, well, I'll go one hand and say, I don't think the outlook can get a lot worse as a power five program. So the default <laughs> is, yeah, well, I would stand to reason it could get better. I, I think the two things that stand in the way right now, uh, from from a coaching standpoint, is like you said, the fall off of Stanford, and there is no reason to believe in the immediacy the caliber of that program is really changing. Now, David Shaw's a proven commodity, so it just it it may be one of those is what it is sort of situations at Stanford. When Peterson arrived at Washington, it was a huge deal. I mean, that was a that was a ground shaking moment for college football, and he elevated the program. Thought he did wonderful things there. Jimmy Lake now. That handoff, which is still too early to judge because I don't know what to make of 2020, nor does anyone else. Thank that you, is by so the way, pivotal. for that. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> pivotal, man, because th- here's the, the – I'm not going to call it a misconception. Maybe it's true. The popular sentiment out there right now is when you have a new coach that comes in, if he's an offensive guy like Sark at Texas, every benefit of the doubt is given. Everybody assumes the best. But when it's a defensive guy – even if he rises through the ranks like Jimmy did at Washington and he's a proven commodity at Washington, people are so hesitant. So then you attach that to what nationally is called the PAC 12 stench right now. And people are just hesitant to buy into Washington. They could go so far in not only helping themselves, but helping the branding of the PAC 12 in that whole week two kind of confluence of events that's happening. Oregon goes to Ohio State. You've obviously got Washington going to Michigan. This is off the heels of UCLA welcoming in LSU. And so it shouldn't be this way, but I think the three of us know it will be this way, that the book's going to be written, or a lot of people are going to want to write the book on the Pac-12 by the time we kick things off in week three. And you'll just you'll have a talking point. You'll have a good old-fashioned narrative that's going to be hard to shake if the Pac-12 goes 0-3 in those games. I agree. And uh, to go along with Jimmy Lake, I think a lot of the reason people are a little more skeptical is along with, you know, not knowing what's going on with 2020. It's the recruiting. That's one thing we have to go off of. One thing we have that we can look at. It's like, okay, we're one and a half classes in pretty much 2022. People are starting to commit, pick their schools and focus on their seasons coming up. Uh, The lackluster recruiting there seems to be an issue. Do you think that that's something that's concerning for Husky fans? I'd be well, the reason I'd be concerned about it is because the typical excuse, like if you didn't know recruiting and you just followed the, the Washington football program, what I would say at this point, if I were that person is, well, but you know, we don't have a lot of in-state talent in Washington, so it's hard to recruit up here. That's not the case, man. We've had several major players coming out of the state of Washington. Like I'm, I'm in our 24 seven, I'm in a little auxiliary uh, office right now, but over here, I'm looking at my studio. And the reason I point to that is because that's where we do our signing day shows. And I remember on signing day, we were interviewing, I, I interviewed Emeka Ibuka, who goes to Ohio State, five-star receiver. I interviewed JTT, who eventually goes elsewhere. And so, like, I remember thinking to myself, even if I, I cover recruiting, and I remember still being taken aback by how much talent there is in Washington, and it wasn't just a one-cycle thing. And so I know they kept the quarterback home, but, man, like, that's, 
that's a golden opportunity. If you grow up in the Pacific Northwest, you know that's not an every cycle thing. And so it's it's got to sting. Yes, it absolutely has to sting to see that once in a lifetime opportunity and then see folks from two time zones away come in and take those players away. Yeah, there were there were four blue chip prospects, I think, in Washington's class last year, and there were seven in the state of Washington. Yeah. I mean, that's when does that happen? When in the world does that ever happen? <laughs> yeah. As somebody who played high school football from 2016 to 2019, when a lot of those guys were coming through high school, Emeka Bukum was on my rival high school. I played him like multiple times in my career. Like a lot of those guys had so many eyes on him and getting national attention, the East side Catholics, the Kennedy Catholics, the O'Days, all those schools producing this now national talent. You got to be able to keep a lot of that home. And I mean, the past couple of classes, 2021 is a bit, if you want to give an excuse, I guess, 2021, you know, being the first cycle, you know, Jimmy, like, was it, you know, still finding his footing, but with 2022, what we've seen, I mean, the first four or five star recruit in the state of Washington that has gone to Oregon happened with Jimmy Lake. So it's mm-hmm. like what Jonathan Stewart, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. I mean, it has been a long time since Washington is missing out on those in-state four or five star recruits. And look, here's the problem. Okay. Washington's not going to be a bad football program as is. They're not going to be a bad football program. No. But when you look down the road, which is where the context is provided, like mm-hmm. Washington looks at Oregon and Oregon doesn't have an in-state crop worth anything, even relative to Washington, and yet they're going full national. Like, they're going to Texas and taking five-star talent out of Texas, which is just absolutely unheard of. And so you're going to have a good, solid program. Like, I'm watching this happen in the South with Auburn right now. Brian Harson comes from Boise, and he's coming into Auburn. And it appears, it's early, but it appears he's trying to sell the locals down in Auburn on the fact that, the Boise model will work here. We're going to develop. Don't worry about the star ratings. Like they can take those four and five star guys. We'll just develop. And look, I don't doubt that he can develop. I don't doubt Jimmy Lake and his staff can develop, but it is a fool's errand to think that you're going to four and five times in a college football season, be out talented and you're going to scheme the opponent to death. Like at this level, there are too many staffs that can recruit and develop and coach on game day. They can do all of it to where you got to have at least a minimum baseline of talent. That's the biggest challenge for Washington. There's no yeah. coincidence that the top six recruiting classes are also the only six teams with playoff wins. It's almost like those rankings guys know something. <laughs> I'm not on the council, so I can say that. I'm not bragging yeah. about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have guessed, huh? No, but um, yeah, like you're saying, and I mean, if this Jimmy Lake thing going on at Washington right now is a failure. It's not going to, it's going to be too late by the time the athletic department figure figures it out. Cause I don't know how much you follow the Washington athletic department. They're kind of, uh, they're not great. Yeah, <laughs> freeze know. frame that face. That, <laughs> yeah, here's the, well, that's the problem. Look, it, it sounds yeah. so counterintuitive. If you're talking to a fan of any other sport, that's not college football. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I watched this happen with Texas A&M for a long time. USC football ironically finds themselves in this position right now where the fan base is begging for an extreme one way or the other. They would either love to win the Pac-12 or go five and seven because the no man's land in college football, if you're a contender, if you fancy your program a contender, no man's land is eight win caliber, nine win caliber because it's not bad enough to get you fired. It's not good enough Mm -hmm. to win anything of relevance to your fan base. 
That's why I said it, it's a bad thing that Jimmy Lake's probably going to be a really good coach and they will be able to develop enough. Well, if they can't recruit, then you know you're never going to get to the mountaintop with that. But also, do you get to the bottom of the well enough to where that administration pulls the trigger? Exactly. And they, they focus on academics a lot in the first place. It's no secret. They plug academics all the time, all the time, all the and time. Rowing. And, and rowing. Natty champs, by the way, that's, that's a dynasty right there. Belated yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wish I could say the same in football, but you know, we'll get there, whatever. Anyways. Um, but yeah, like that administration <laughs> totally focuses on academics and Washington isn't a bad athletic school. And that's what drives me nuts about them is that Washington is not a bad athletic school and they don't plug it. They don't market it. A lot of these recruits kind of just look past it. Like, Oh, you know, you dub, I get a good education, but with recruiting D one at this level, it's not just the education that matters, especially with NIL. Now it's the branding it's, you know, when am I going to be seen? How can I get to the NFL? You know, and when you are comparing that to the likes of, you know, teams Washington has recruited against Ohio state, Oklahoma, Oregon, all those schools, I mean, those are looking a lot more appealing just because Washington's degree might be better in whatever aspect or whatever you're thinking of. Like, you got to be able to plug your athletic department and um, just kind of that whole scene is a nightmare. And like I was saying before, to get the title back around, because I kind of went on a tangent there, but um, with that administration just being the way that they are, it's going to be too late by the time they kick Jimmy Lake out. I mean, you're going to have two solid seasons for Washington. I mean, I a lot of people have Washington winning the North, if not being competitive in the North, top two in the North. And next season, just with all the talent on the roster, you could say the same thing. And then by the time that recruiting cycle, you know, they're upperclassmen and they're already too far in the pit to do anything, it's going to be too late to get Jimmy Lake out of there and you're going to start to see them at the bottom of the Pac-12 again. And therein lies the forever struggle of college football. If you yeah. don't reside at the very top, that is the forever struggle in the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, sure. uh, when what, what a lot of Washington fans, I think, expected when Chris Peterson stepped down was kind of similar to what happened at Oregon when Chip Kelly left. Had a couple years bad, you know, a couple years to get everything organized. And then eventually the athletic department realized, hey, sports drive academia. For, sports bring funding for academia. When Oregon got good at football, their attendance, their application rates – all rose drastically and increased funding outside of just Nike for the schools. And a lot of people probably figure Washington's athletic department would have realized this and try and put an emphasis on hiring a good coach and getting that turnaround taken care of. If they're not recruiting well, that turnaround's not going to come as quickly as it did with Oregon, albeit lucking out and getting a guy who the players loved in a Mario Cristobal, who turned out to be an elite recruiter and, from what we've seen so far has done an amazing job at hiring staff. He's got guys on his staff who could probably be head coaches elsewhere with uh, the offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead and the defensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter. They could both likely be at least a group of five coaches. Yeah. And to, to circle back just a second on what you were talking about, again, this is something unique to college football. What you said there makes total sense to college football fans. You said, you would think that the Washington administration, like the Oregon administration, they realize that football drives a lot of the revenue bus. Therefore, it should be common sense, right? That you should prioritize and invest in football. And for those who are listening, who are just hardcore college football fans, but you don't really concern yourself with the administrative side of this industry, that does make sense. But let me explain to you how an academic type that does not care about sports whatsoever thinks. They think about it the exact same way as if they were running a country club and someone came to them and said, why don't we put a Ferris wheel in the parking lot? 
it would get a ton of traffic. We get a ton of folks to come to it that otherwise wouldn't come to the country club. They look and they say, uh, it's because we don't want them here to begin with, buddy. It's a country club. We have a certain kind of clientele and the Ferris wheel, it brings in the scragglers and we don't want the scragglers over here. Fact of the matter is, this is not just a mess that's exclusive to the Pacific Northwest. It exists all over the place. You get some of the bow tie crowd in the room and they're almost insulted. They almost take it as a personal slight that they have to lean on athletics. Ugh. They feel like taking a shower after even talking about it. And so that, again, when I say a forever problem, that's what I mean, a forever problem. Because those kinds, they tend to stick around multiple generations. Your football coaches come and go. Those kind of folks, they stick around multiple generations. It's so relieving that somebody gets it outside of the Pacific Northwest. And I mean, that administration, I mean, you're looking at, even just looking at like acceptance rates, the acceptance rate at UW has gone down by at least like, 5% for the past three years or something. I don't know if that's the correct stat, but it's something crazy like that. Their acceptance rates around like 35, 40. Like my dad went to UW for a bit. Their acceptance rate back then was like 70 something percent. They're trying to be the new Stanford. And like with the academic prowess that Stanford has, it's going to be hard to be the new Stanford. So not only are you going to be faltering in the athletics side of things because you're focusing on academics, you can't even sell that you're the best academic school in the Pac-12. So then, like, what do you do then? It's right. just and, and so if you so if you go back to the football aspect here, I think we can all acknowledge, even with the unprecedented in-state crop Washington's had, if you're going to compete at a reasonably national level, they have to have a national recruiting apparatus. Okay, so if you're going to go into Texas, or let's say you're going to try and get into the Midwest, I can I can attest from a kid who grew up in the South, I can tell you when I think of the University of Washington, I don't think of academics, I think of athletics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I grew up in an athletic world, but my point is you, you, you try to be great in something. Don't be decent in everything. Try and be great in something. Try and market yourself and brand yourself. And that's what I admire about what Oregon's doing right now. They don't apologize for their approach. Like they, they understand what they are. They understand what they may not be, but they understand how to harness it and brand it and pitch it nationally. And so I think one of the lazy fallbacks is, yeah, but they have Nike. It's like, man, do you know how easy that thing would be to screw up even with Nike if you didn't have the right people driving the bus? And so that's that's my only wish. And I wish that for every major athletic department, like get people who have a clear vision and decide whether you want to be serious about this or whether you don't. Because if you don't kind of make it known and, and we won't waste time talking about you. I want to talk about Washington like I would love a viable product up there. I pull for Jimmy Lake, man. I, I mm-hmm. hope for their sake they can go into Michigan in week two, get a win, start recruiting momentum in the right direction to where you have something tangible that you can actually sell and say, look, we told you we could do it. We went to do it. We could do that a lot more with guys like you in the program. That's my wish. Um, We'll see how long it has to stay a wish. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you think is the difference between Washington and Oregon? Because they both want to be on the same level. They both like ideally would like to both be national contenders. What is the difference in their cultures that's giving Oregon that success and Washington's finding it hard to keep these guys is it just the guys at the very top you know the bow tie guys that you're talking about who are just not putting enough pressure on it they're not marketing well they're not pushing for these kids they're trying to stick more towards academia or do you think there's something else that ties along with it well so let me ask it like this because you guys know these two programs you know mario cristobal you know the identity okay i i I've t- i talk to mario several times a year that there is nobody who takes recruiting more serious than him i'm, I'm talking about nationally now he learned under the best. He, he came from a place where he eats and sleeps and breathes it. 
would that kind of coach fit at the University of Washington right now? I don't think so. With the people who run Washington, no. with that kind of okay, that's it's too the loud answer. and out there. Yeah, that's yeah. the answer. Someone taking recruiting a little bit too seriously. I don't know if they fit in at Washington right now. That's the answer to the question you just asked me. So it's pretty much just at the top at this point. And and what do we really – I mean, you know, you can read all the preview magazines you want to. You can watch all the games you want to. You're no closer to solving the problem if the problem doesn't really reside in the athletic department. But instead, mm-hmm. at the university level, what recourse do you have? Because at that point, like we were just talking about a second ago – your, your recourse is, well, okay, they won't get my money. I won't go to games. They're telling you they don't really care if you do or not anyway. I mean, and their decision-making is telegraphing that. And their mm-hmm. boosters don't really care about the sport. They're, uh, the opposite with Oregon. Oregon's two biggest boosters. One's a former athlete. The other is a former athletic director. Really helps. Mm-hmm. Helps a whole lot for people who speak that language. Yes, that, that's invaluable. <sighs> former athletic director inheriting billions kind of helps a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So, Josh, we're going to put you on the spot here to get towards the end of this uh, end of this episode here. When it comes to the 2021 season, who do you think is going to be vying for that Pac-12 crown out of the north and out of the south? So this is where it gets tricky. So I, I would power rate Oregon my best team in the north. I, I have Oregon power rated as the best team in the conference this year. But, man, I also have – I'm looking at a sheet off to my side. Right now, if, if I were to play that Oregon-Washington game today, I've got uh, Oregon favored by 2.3 points which is impossible, obviously, but I've got it power rated at that. So a very competitive game, in other words. I got Washington favored the rest of the way. I think it's, it's a lot's been talked about and made of the favorability of the schedule this year. That's another one of those on-field examples of a perfect case scenario for Jimmy Lake. We had mm-hmm. the recruiting version. Well, now we got the actual on-field football version, and it's imperative they take advantage of that. I'm saying that to say this. I almost wonder if by the time we get to that game, which is what, uh, November 6th, man, that's that's a big day, by the way. So once we get to that game, I wonder what it means. In other words, if Washington's undefeated there, is Oregon undefeated too? Like imagine what that sets up on the West coast first off, Hmm. because I don't think anyone's (laughs) planning for that. And secondly, I also wonder, is it a situation where one of them's got a loss, but then, you know, you make up a game and a half if you win on that November 6th day and that decides the North in the South, dude, I have no clue. I'm going to just going to be brutally honest with you. I have no clue. I liked Arizona state, but I don't know if there's enough. I don't know if there's enough casserole with Arizona state. There's a lot of cupcake. There's a lot of sweetness. There's a lot of sugar rush about them. I don't know if it fills me up for a whole season, but then I look at Salt Lake city I never hear a peep out of them, but Utah just sits there. And I know what they're going to rock out there. Like, I know what kind of team I'm going to get. And if I can get any kind of Charlie Brewer that I have seen statistically at Baylor in years past, and we have seen it. It's not like you have to guess about it. You can play. Yeah. I I mean, I can't possibly go UCLA. They got totally screwed by the schedule maker. So I don't know what in the world Arizona State's going to be. I just, as a general rule of thumb in life, do not invest any of my emotional attachment in USC. And so I got to <laughs> think Utah, as of today, is my pick. But I don't want, I don't want to be held to that because I can change my mind <laughs> by the time I go to the parking lot and drive home tonight. Me and Matt actually have the same team winning the Pac-12, and it's the team you just said you give no chance. We both have UCLA winning the South. Okay, look, sell me on this because I, I may steal the idea. So sell me on this. So what, my, Matt, do you want to go first? No, you go for it. You got so it. You got the floor. What's, what's been going on is over the past few years, UCLA would build a lot of momentum towards the end of the year. Right. And oftentimes, it would just completely derail to start the season. And in their defense, they were playing teams like Oklahoma to start the year. 
So it's not like they were playing in these easy cupcake games to keep that momentum going. Well, this year, the team they play is a little more beatable in LSU. LSU had a tough year last year. They're still a quality team. They still out-talent UCLA. All you need is Dorian Thompson-Robinson to get as good as he gets towards the end of the season and the beginning of the season. And I, if when I did, I broke down the record predictions. If Oregon has a second loss, I don't think it's to Washington. I think it's to UCLA. UCLA may have lost a few pieces on the offensive line. They lost a few linebackers as well, but they've actually been recruiting back to the level that Jim Mora was, which albeit isn't saying much, but they're still bringing in the quality guys. And when Jim Mora was there for a little while, they were competing for the Pac-12. Okay, so let me ask you this. What is the Chip Kelly offense in 2021? It's him trying his hardest to prove that he is not a one-dimensional coach. Like I just don't get the warm fuzzies from this. We're not even through the sentence. The period <laughs> is not even put on the sentence. I just I cannot endorse people winning a conference when I ask that question. You tell me, well, he's trying to prove this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the offense I've, is. That's I've my whole Matt, beef with him. I think his biggest issue is he's trying to prove that he's not one-dimensional. He doesn't have to run that Oregon system to win. Mm-hmm. When, like, to this day, when he's used it in college, it hasn't <laughs> failed. Yeah, Nobody uses the same system he uses. They use variants of it. They try to, like, mimic it. And when he was just a play caller, didn't have any roster control in the NFL, it worked there, too. It's just I don't know why he's so set on not using his old system and trying to prove that he's, you know, a more of a coach than that. When, in all honesty, I think they could really easily win the Pac-12 with that kind of system, with the talent they had when he first got to UCLA. I think aside from that, so that question has to be answered on the field, obviously. But the other thing is, I think that if USC, which obviously schedule works in their favor, if USC does not win the South this year, couldn't care less what their record is. If they don't win the South, I never talk like this in the preseason. If they don't win the South, blanket statement, you've got a clean house there. That's just a blanket statement, man. That's, that is a, such a wasted opportunity if they do not win the South. Clean house yeah. or do you make Dante Williams the head coach? Well... We can talk about that at the end of the year. I got to feel that out <laughs> a little bit. But I'm just saying, I got to have a different nameplate on that head coaching office. Let me just say that. Yeah, I think he's been huge for them, too, though. They were recruiting terribly, kind of like how Washington is now. They were losing a lot of their recruiting luster. And one of the only changes they made, they kept Todd Orlando, which he's gotten a lot of recruiting credit. I don't know how, how much of it is deserved. But when they, they kept Todd Orlando, and then they added Dante Williams, and the recruiting was just seemingly completely reversed. Those are two high-energy guys, though. Yeah, well, they also, I'll tell you what else they have a chance to do. They, they in Florida State have a chance to totally cast a new, a new mold for how to handle an offseason because you're talking about, what, nine, a combined 16 players taken in the transfer portal between those two. And if those, those guys get on the field early and they produce and they actually change the fortunes of a team, you talk about aggression in the portal this time next year. Everybody who's on the chopping block, everyone who's a first-year staff, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you bring that up because actually with Jimmy Lake and his staff, you know, they got a couple good players in the transfer portal. I think even with um, recruiting being down, you're going to see that Jimmy Lake staff reach another transfer portal upcoming for at least a couple for as long as they're around, honestly, because I think they're going to seek success from it. I think it's I think it's reasonable to expect for a number of staffs to do that. Yeah, for sure. All right, Josh, we do want to thank you for your time. Uh, we've had a great episode here. We've talked a lot about Oregon, Washington, recruiting, and just the, the outlook of the Pac-12 nationally. Uh, is there anything you want to say before you we get out of here? 
Yeah, I first off, I appreciate coming on. And secondly, anyone who lives out there and wants to venture a little outside the just the Pacific Northwest, we try and structure Late Kick to where anything we talk about matters to everyone, regardless of even if we zoom in on a specific um, program. So we're about to move to three nights a week, the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, Late Kick podcast. If you search those and you don't find me, there's a big, big problem. So <laughs> appreciate everyone tuning in. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you for coming on. Matt, any closing remarks? Uh, we we appreciate you a lot for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right, guys. I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Ducks and Dogs podcast. And we hope to see you guys for the next episode when we hopefully have another guest for you guys. Until now, it's Mike and Matt with special guest Josh Pate of 247 Sports signing off.